cities are, are really where people learn to live in a modern open society. And I think we need successful cities for, for an accessible human race. And we are back with officially the third episode of The Academy. Um, in today's episode, me and Aiden are going to talk about um, COVID. We're kind of going to reassess re- uh, our, uh, our focus here. We've been talking about the protests and just what's been going on, mostly in the United States lately. But we're going to talk about COVID and um, what, what it, its effect has been internationally. And we'll be looking specifically at China. After that, me and Aiden will be doing a number of hot takes um, where we'll address uh, a few questions that are kind of relevant in the week's news. And then finally, we're going to talk about the lasting implications of COVID on American cities from more of a, of a business perspective. And uh, again, me and Aiden, you know, we're not experts on these topics, um, but, you know, we have a lot of interest that's been forged by our, uh, you know, lifelong interest in travel and just our, our really desire to have productive conversations that, um, you know, hopefully are, are open-minded and, and consider all points of views. And uh, one day down the road, we hope to have more subject matter experts, people who are, are interested in these particular topics to give us a little bit more of an expert feel. Um, but I think me and Aiden are, are just about to take off here. Yeah, uh, thanks for the fantastic intro, John. And this is going to be a lot of fun. And I, I think our our goal here really is to just kind of learn about the world through conversation. You know, we, we, we aren't uh, experts, like you said. These are just our opinions. And, and really, the bottom line of the podcast is to use conversation as, as a tool to uh, ignite our curiosity and really in, in kind of influence our learning and uh, help grow our perspectives. So with that and kind of introducing what we're going to be talking about today, why don't we just jump right in to kind of the topic of COVID in China. This is where the virus came out of, uh, and we've seen a lot of kind of interesting things happen um, with the way the world has reacted to how China's dealt with it. Do you think COVID is making China a more powerful leader? Do you think it's kind of making the world a little bit more uh, less trusting in China? How do you feel like kind of China's role in COVID has shaped kind of geopolitics? Yeah, a great question. Um, so uh, just for our listeners, me and Aiden actually traveled together in China. And uh, we, we've kind of been interested in China just just uh, f- for a while, just because it's obviously has a different governmental structure than, United, than the United States. Uh, it's kind of more more authoritarian in nature. And I think, Aiden, like the way I feel is that it, it's – China is is showing a couple things, right? In in some ways, they look like a powerful leader right now because they're showing what governments are capable of when they put all their muscle into one thing, right? Like with testing, um, I, I saw that China's been able to you know test entire entire cities, um, and it's also showing an uh, ability just to react. And it's kind of done this over the over the years. Um, it shows an ability to react strongly in, in ways that America hasn't, um, but. I still think that there's there's some weaknesses as well. I think that uh, they do things that that still kind of culturally isolate themselves from the rest of the world. And um, I mean, we obviously saw like what uh, their lack of transparency um, has done for 
for the world's response uh, to COVID-19. Um, so, so I think in certain ways they're showing leadership, but in other ways, I, I just I question whether or not um, this this form, this kind of style of governance, is actually successful in the long run. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think it's really interesting where you kind of have a, a type of government that shows like true kind of authority over its people. It's very much a top-down approach. Um, and in America, you're seeing very much kind of like the people and, and the voices trying to stick up. Uh, you're seeing a very f- uh, like bifurcated approach where like you might see some more kind of Californian, uh, Washington, very more left states deal with the problem much more differently than some other states. Where if you look at kind of how China dealt with it as a whole, it was very much from the top down all the way across the board. And the, and, and the way they kind of have shaped the narrative i mean i remember seeing just the like i mean the 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 way they have made heroes out of their nurses and their doctors on the front lines is really cool but then also the way that they've tried to hide the media and what's going on on the ground and on the scenes is also concerning so it's like you have these interesting things where they have this like great kind of pride in the nation um, and then also it's like, but they don't want to hear from the people and they, it's only what kind of the state government and the state media says. So it's like a, a message from the top controlled by the top. And in some ways, maybe that's helping create a cohesive story, but it's like, it feels like the, the people aren't a, a part of it, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I agree. And I think just in terms of like talking about, uh, if, if China's becoming more of a powerful world leader, um, you know, other countries are going to want to have to follow your lead, right? And I just think like so many of the things that the Chinese are, are doing and the Chinese government is doing is still so um, just unpalatable to Western governments, especially, but but kind of the whole world. Like, I mean, if you look at like, I mean, the lack of transparency in, in COVID is, is obvious and the world's been critical of that. Um, but like, uh, they've been doing other things to isolate themselves culturally, too. Um, I know they've they've had there was a kind of a dust up between the Chinese government and Australian government recently where China claimed that uh, uh, Chinese nationals were being targeted by Australians on the basis of race, which, which apparently just uh, due to my like little bit of research, there wasn't really, that wasn't really grounded in any facts. It was just kind of a way to try and kind of punish the Australian government. It seems um, from critis from uh, for the Australian government criticism, criticizing China over its COVID cover-up. So I just think like in those ways, China uh, is still kind of isolating itself culturally from the rest of the world. And um, that, I mean, that's why, you know, I I think nations will be kind of hesitant to follow their lead. Um, And and that's, I think, also part of the reason um, why they haven't really been able to to influence, you know, in the past, um, the the world uh, culturally, like the way that America or some of the Western world or even other Asian countries like like. um, you know, Japan or South Korea have. So, so that's, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a double-edged sword there. Yeah, no, I think there's a lack of accountability that China has. And I think, like you said, Australia tried to come out um, and place blame against China. I know, I think it was Germany that came out and was trying to get kind of funding from what how, how much damage the Chinese government caused them. And if you look at the way that now China is using COVID as a way to spring up kind of more power, um, you just look at the most recent conflict between China and India over border disputes, which I guess has been going on for 45 years. And now in the midst of COVID, there's 
front lines battles between China and, and, and Chinese and Indians about like where the line draws between the two countries and they're going hand to hand combat with clubs and everything. Like it's this, this kind of like, like you, you think with everything going on um, and knowing that the virus came out that you wouldn't see stuff like this happen. Um, and you see them now even fighting for kind of land. It just, it just makes you kind of think what's going on with their kind of desire for kind of more global influence. Um, and you're seeing that amongst their kind of countries local to them. Yeah, definitely. And I think India is a great example. Um, you know, obviously there's the example of Hong Kong and Taiwan where China's trying to flex their muscle. And, and so, you know, all, all of these kind of recent developments just, just have me wondering if, if you have any um, insights into how the world holds China accountable. Like what, what, do, what do other global uh, governments do to hold China accountable? Yeah, and I think it's a tough spot because China has emerged as the global leader. And so just as the way that the U.S. has had very little people to keep us in check for the last 30 to 50 years as the global leader, sure enough, it might be the Chinese who we might not be able to keep in check because they're going to be one of the most powerful countries in the world. And certainly the way they dealt with COVID compared to the U.S. has shown kind of their superiority in dealing with healthcare crisis um, and their ability to react quickly on kind of a dime and, and, and solve things rather fast. Um, so it's, it's a scary question when the when China could become one of the most powerful countries in the world and might overtake the U.S. and we might not have the power to be able to keep them accountable. Definitely. And, and I think what I was, you know, that's a, that's a great point. And, and I think they're always going to have some of those strengths to react really quickly. What I think Western countries and the United States need to do in particular are kind of uh, is kind of kind of has to do with what I said earlier. We've got to just continue to take away uh, or take advantage of China's failure to, to influence global global culture in the way that the U.S. has. And I think that we can continue to, to do that and continue to be uh, leaders and in, in, um, maybe kind of curb some of China's influence by trading more in Asia. That's that's one uh, step. And then also, I think um, what hurts nations like the United States in particular is um, doing the kinds of things that kind of hurt our, you know, kind of moral ad advantage, I guess you could say. So that's like, you know, stopping like police brutality on peaceful protests, because I feel like that's like something the Chinese can point to and be like, you know, okay, you can criticize us for being authoritarian, but, you know, through their propaganda, they can, you know, ca call us out for the same thing and just play and play these clips. So I think part of it is just staying a cultural leader. And I think that is just through trade and the way that we kind of conduct ourselves domestically. I think that's a great point. Just the, the fact that American culture has kind of permeated throughout the globe is one of our unique advantages as a country. And I think the, the if you're looking at just what's going on in Hong Kong, and, and they're looking for for U.S. support, the people, to kind of fight the, the, the Beijing government and kind of trying to take power over Hong Kong. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting to see kind of the power plays between China and U.S. Uh, I mean, you've seen them in real time during COVID with Chinese trying to ship masks to all the European countries when kind of the, the virus started to spread. Um, but it's going to be interesting if China can really win over kind of allies or if they're going to kind of continue to isolate themselves. Um, okay, I think we're at the midway point of our podcast, John. Do we want to switch gears to uh, the hot take list? Yeah, so me and Aiden are going to run through a series of questions where we give our hot takes in a segment that we're calling Hot Takes. <laughs> 
breaking news, uh, Amazon today announced a $2 billion clean tech VC fund. My question is, is this fund legit or is it just a PR scheme kind of given all the, the tax implications to, to Amazon and the increased consumerism? Do you think this is going to help the world or is it just kind of for their own benefit? Well, wait, so how much is Amazon Jeff Bezos worth again? Because <laughs> it's a lot more than $2 billion. So to me, it smells like PR. Um, and, and while, you know, $2 billion isn't nothing, it's still not a game changer. I think in terms of a level of cash, it, you need to be really successful at something like this. I'm personally more interested in uh, the strides that Amazon makes to reach its stated goal of 100% renewable energy by 2030. But uh, that's that's my two cents. What do you think, AG? Yeah, I'll be curious to see if they can hit that goal by being 100% renewable by, by 2030. And you know what? I think it's one of those things only time will tell. Uh, $2 billion is a huge amount of money to invest in clean tech. I'm excited it's being done. I'm excited that they're forming uh, an internal VC firm to invest in the next generation of companies. I don't think there's enough money in the clean tech kind of VC world right now. So I'm optimistic and I, and I hope it kind of pans out some interesting new startups and that can make a difference for the world. Okay, I think that's a, that's a great answer there. Uh, so for our second question, uh, you know, the United States stock market has uh, continued to rebound and actually do fairly well over the last two months after a precipitous decline, obviously, uh, when the COVID outbreak started. Do you think the stock market uh, will continue to bounce back or are we in for another dip, AG? So I'm convinced, the, like a lot of people, that the stock market is completely um, not matched to the economy right now, the type of job losses that we're feeling. And I think it's just a matter of time before we're going to see a massive dip, whether that happens at the end of Q2 or kind of as we go into kind of Q3 and Q4, I think we're going to see one of the largest stock market dips yet to come. And uh, I think we're not even quite there yet. Yeah, I think the way the virus is, is moving um, especially makes me kind of concerned that we'll have another wave and that may affect the economy. And I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it, it seems just so um, strange that there can be such a disconnect from between Wall Street and Main Street. You know, uh, it, it just doesn't seem sustainable that the stock market can continue to do well while unemployment isn't double di digits. So I'm expecting another crash, but but I'm cautiously optimistic that it won't that it, uh, you know, it won't be it won't be too bad and eventually it will come out of it. Okay, so out of all the states that are now being hit hard again by COVID and going into the, the summer and in the, in the fall, which state besides kind of New York City um, is going to be hit uh, the hardest from COVID in this next wave? Oh, I mean, that's, that's hard. I mean, you're seeing a lot of stuff happen in California right now. But, you know, I'm going to say Florida because you had a lot of young people vacationing there. You have probably some of the more lax laws in the country. And then you have a bunch of a bunch of oldies. So I think it's it's kind of the perfect storm for just a really bad public health situation. Uh, you know, I'm knocking on wood for Florida. But uh, what's what's your two cents there? Yeah, I would say Florida's on my short list. Um, but you know what? I'm actually going to have kind of a, a hot take here and go with one of the the, the countries that or states that are. Uh, really in the farming they've kind of had to work through this you see all that big outbreak in south dakota i think we might see a really bad outbreak in some of these kind of farm counties or areas where you might see kind of upwards of like thousands of people like in the entire factory kind of come down with the virus um so if i had to put a finger on it maybe it's um somewhere in iowa or, in, or nebraska um but i think one of these is going to get hit hard man that is a hot take all right you farm boys watch out um <laughs> 
Okay, so the next question is going kind of pivoting back to China. Um, we mentioned Hong Kong, and that's been a spot where China's been trying to exact leverage.、Uh, do you think China、uh, Chinese control of Hong Kong is inevitable, Ag? Yeah, so the, the the Hong Kong people have been protesting kind of the, the the Chinese control now for over a year. Last year we saw like Molotov cocktails、um, and all sorts of incredible protests. Over a million people took to the streets out of I don't know eight to eighteen million people in the Greater Hong Kong area, and.、Um, You know, I think the people are drained, and I think the Chinese government is relentless. They're coming in with more force than ever, and I, I'm I think that the the Hong Kong kind of independent kind of two state thing that's been going on in one country is gonna it's gonna fall into Chinese control. Oh man, that is a、uh, that's a bit of a spirit breaker.、Um, you know, I, I I believe in the spirit of the Hong Kong people. I think that just the the sheer numbers of people that have came. Uh, come out to demonstrate against the Chinese government and, and face, you know, some really serious brutality.、Um, I, I think that I, I think their spirit is still intact. But you're right. I mean, China has quelled the sin before, right? You got Tiananmen Square, and and that stuff isn't happening in mainland China anymore. So I don't know. I I think I'm more optimistic than you, but I get where you're coming from. I hear you. Okay, so on that same thread of China. Do you think other regional powers are doing enough to kind of stop what Chinese doing in the kind of South China Sea? I'm talking about like Taiwan, Japan, for kind of what China's doing, or do you think they need to do more? And what do you think they could be doing? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a lot of the other players in the region are somewhat hapless.、Um, what I really think there needs to be is is stronger U.S. leadership,、um, because I think that will will give. Um, some of these smaller countries, smaller economies, more confidence to oppose China. I think the worry right now is that you know China is going to、uh, you know dominate the Asian markets, and that without another kind of big player backing them up, then you know a lot of these countries don't really have leverage. So, I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't look like a great situation、um, if we're just relying on some of these other regional players. Yeah. I will say that I am really optimistic in some of these emerging Asian economies, particularly India, Vietnam.、Um, I mean, South Korea is already a powerhouse. So is Japan, and I think that they are a little bit less isolated and more involved in the global economy,、um, and are more willing to kind of cross collaborate、um, and, and work together. Well, where I think that they could actually have a nice kind of rise with some of these Western countries.、Um, And doing business over the next few decades, and I'm actually optimistic that、um, the more we can kind of fuel those economies and they continue to rise, that it will kind of、um, slow down the Chinese growth. With that said, I do think China could come in and try to be aggressive and take down some of these these countries. Okay, that brings us to our last question, and actually, it's the one I'm most excited to ask,、um, and it kind of has to do with with the last topic that we're going to be talking about today too. But、uh, Aiden, do you think that? America's cities are still the gold standard for the world. I think that American America has some great cities,、um, no doubt about it. But I think that we've lost our future outlook on how to make a truly innovative city in modern times. I mean, I, I, we were well traveled, and I've gone to kind of some futuristic cities like Singapore. You know, you think about kind of Abu Dhabi. Um, and I think that our cities are established, but I think they've lost their kind of cutting edge and in innovation that really makes like a green,、uh, transportation kind of friendly city、uh, 
that kind of really what is needed in the 21st century. Yeah, I, I mean, I get where you're coming from with the technological aspect and maybe the uh, ability to build these really impressive structures. You know, we're, we're maybe not the gold standard in that way, but I'm, I'm going to say yes, because, um, you know, well, if you look at cities like New York, right? New York, I, I still, I, I believe, still is the largest GDP of any city in the world. Um, and I think that other countries and, and people in uh, other major cities across the world look to the U.S. for inspiration. I don't think you have to go any further than uh, the U.S. inspired George Floyd protests, right? Like the American people were the ones who kind of started those protests. But it, you know, I think the rest of the world looked at that, and uh, um, you know, it really caught fire. And I think that's because uh, the world still sees American cities as kind of like the preeminent uh, mixing pot for culture, and uh, they're almost like these laboratories where I really feel like um, it does help us build model citizens. Um, but maybe that's a good segue into our next topic. But uh, that's, those are our hot takes, and uh, next time uh, we'll, we'll uh, be kind of doing the same thing and, uh, and giving our hot takes about some different topics. Love it. Yeah, I think that's uh, a int- great segue into going back into our last kind of focus topic for today, which is on the lasting implications of COVID in America and how that's kind of shaking up uh, productivity, working, uh, our, our cities themselves, um, so, so maybe I'll ask you, do you think this changes uh, how people want to live in cities, how we work? What do you think are some of the lasting implications here, John? Yeah, it's really hard to know um, what the long-term effects are going to be. Um, so, but I'm, the, the thing I'll say, you know, it's obvious that cities have been hit extremely hard. Um, I, I know that New York has, you know, only maybe two or three percent of the population we can fact check that um but it's, it's had over 19 percent of the deaths and um i, I mean it, it just makes the outlook um it seem really bleak and you know the nature of american cities is that you're cramming a bunch of people in one place and and obviously during a pandemic it seems like uh like maybe that's not a, a, the best recipe going forward but at the same time i think that that cities have have so much to offer and and i i don't think the the uh solution is a bunch of people moving away from cities i think it's just how do we adapt you know how do we adapt our um, infrastructure to deal with you know having to space people out um are we considering like you know how we're structuring our workspaces um that changes the transportation um i mean that's kind of my two cents on the issue i mean yeah, no, I, I mean, I, th- I think, John, it's interesting t- that a lot of these cities were designed before modern technology of, like, even, like, the Internet, where a lot of things can be done remotely. Um, a lot of our kind of modern public transportation that might transform our lives with self-driving technologies, uh, electric, were are not included in our cities. So how can we change our cities to work with the technology that's kind of with us now and it's going to be coming of age in the next few years. And I, I do think that the population density is both a double-edged sword where like this, the stacking up on top of each other with a virus or just with rent is, is a lot, but the idea, the it's a place for ideas to mix people to come together and, and really economies to work. I mean, like you said, all kind of the major GDP comes from our major cities, not from kind of the rural parts in the country. So it's, I I think we need to evolve our cities, but it's, it's tough when so much infrastructure has, 
already been laid down. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I don't think there's a reason to abandon our cities because our, our cities have worked for us for so long. You know, like you touched on, our, the cities are the most productive parts of our economy, right? And it seems like they're only becoming more so. Um, and I think like the reality of it is when you have like cities like New York or Los Angeles, like when you when you cram so many people um, together who are talented, who come from different backgrounds and who are just overflowing and fizzing with ideas that business prospers in environments like that. And I feel like we need to make sure that we're still having collaboration. And honestly, I feel like the face to face collaboration is important because, um, you know, People, I think the reason why like our Zoom technology and our remote technology is, is still working so well now is because people have built networks. Um, and those networks have created strong personal relationships that have, have allowed um, us to be able to still function uh, working remotely. But I don't think working remotely is necessarily a solution forever. I think we can implement it into our workspaces um, in ways that you know create better health outcomes. But I'd, I think that you know, we we can't just um, go remote altogether. We have to keep that kind of human interaction, that face-to-face, um, you know, meeting of the minds, uh, you know, that the handshakes and the, you know, the, the personal relationships. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, what, what do you think? What, what, what do you think that, that cities can do differently? How do you think we can build cities that, that are built to last? Do you agree with that, that premise, by the way? Yeah, no, I I think there's going to be a lot of shifts in the way we can do a lot of our work remotely. I think the way Zoom has been working for a lot of people has shown that they don't need to travel as much between different cities and do business kind of travel like we used to. It's shown that you can do doctor visit checkups online. And so I think you're going to be able to see a lot more business and time being able to spend in people's homes and work done remotely. And then cities can be more of a place for people to come together in public spaces and parks and community projects in a way that we haven't allowed our cities to flourish um, as much as I think we could. So I, th- I think the more we can move our, our work and our commercial real estate online and create kind of places to come together and enjoy things as a community, I think that's going to be a, a real positive thing that could come out of this. But like you said, people are always going to want to come into to the office and see each other. But I think to the extent of how that happens uh, is, is going to change because, I mean, you're seeing deals being done, announcements being made. I mean, people are able to work just like they were online. Um, and so I think people are now realizing that this is here to stay. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Um, and, and just kind of, you know, branching off of that, I mean, do you think there are any things that, that cities can kind of do proactively um, uh, you know, ahead of the, the next, the next COVID crisis, is there things that cities can do to, um, kind of handle the impact better? So we're not seeing this, this big downturn that we're seeing right now. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a, a lot that can probably go into the way we, I think there's a lot that can go into the way that we structure our cities but really what's going to stop a virus is more things on the healthcare front than anything, you know? Yeah, d- definitely. And I think that, you know, maybe one option, and I, I was just kind of sitting here thinking um, while you were talking, um, is that in order for cities to be more effective, I think what, what we should strive to do or, or cities should strive to do is 
just be more autonomous, right? I think w one of the big things that we've seen from states and cities is this kind of reliance on the federal government. And I know there's been so many problems with de Blasio in New York, um, and people are upset with him, and, and he's kind of been pointing the finger at the federal government, like, look, like, we haven't really been getting the support that we need. But, you know, I, I don't think that we should, in the future, I, I think cities should try to you know, position themselves in ways that they don't need to rely on the slow-moving federal government uh, to make decisions. You know, I know one, like, I example of, I think, the way just American cities, now just talking about American cities, um, but the way that American cities can improve um, is to do things like, you know, s some of our Asian counterparts have done, and I'm not talking about China, but, like, South Korea might be a better example, where, uh, you know, Seoul, um, one of the bigger cities in the world, has had a tremendous response to coronavirus, and actually... A lot of their response um, was organized by their municipal governments. And so I think just having really responsive um, local leadership uh, could go a long way. Yeah, I think the empowering of our, our, our cities is going to be a trend that I'd like to see uh, over the course of the century, that our cities can really emerge as kind of like when you think of California, you think of the cities. You don't think of the broader kind of state, you know? Um, you think of San Francisco, you think of L.A. and their own kind of perspective and ethos. So the more we can channel those and allow those to prosper, I think we're going to see some really interesting things come. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I just think that cities are, are really where people learn to live in a modern open society. And I think we need successful cities for, for an accessible human race. Do you, would you sign on to that notion? For sure. For sure. I don't think cities awesome. are going away anytime soon. John, man, this, this, this was fun. I, I, I feel like we went rapid fire, uh, like talked about a lot of different things, a lot of different topics from kind of China's influence on the world to the lasting implications of COVID and the way we, we live in our, in our cities and technology to kind of doing our first hot take. This was, this was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, it was great. I mean, for a Tuesday, you'd, you'd think that we'd, uh, the energy would be a little bit lower, but, but I think, uh, I think it's been great. Um, and, and I'm excited to, to do the next, uh, to do the, to do our next show. And, uh, you know, we're just going to keep improving from here. So shout out to, uh, all our listeners so far and i we can't wait to do it again any final words aj hell yeah let's let's keep the energy we're fired up and we're just going to keep coming back baby all right take care guys see you next time and special thank you to andre schroeder for the music all licensing is done through proud music library and bensound.com <laughs>